welcome to this episode of Where Peter Is Live. I'm your host, Rachel Amiri, and I am joined today by some of our regulars and a new guy. <laughs> we have Mike Lewis, editor-in-chief of wherepeteris.com, Melinda Ripnack, who's here with us every week, also a contributor, and Paul Fahey is joining us live for the first time. You're from in Michigan, correct? Yes, up in mid-lower uh, mid Michigan. There's two mid parts of Michigan. You're not going to show me the like mitten to show me where you or wait where you live. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> and I'm, pardon me if I'm if I'm ducking around here, but like my my wait, headphones are. Acting <laughs> I don't know if you're hearing okay. a weird echo. Yeah, yeah, there's a bit of a strange. I'm, sound. I'm going to mute myself. I'm going to disappear. Talk amongst yourselves. I don't and know when I come back, everything yeah, yeah. will be okay. All right. <laughs> Okay, technical difficulties today. I wasn't sure who where the noise was coming from there. Wow, so, so that was fun. Hey, Paul, welcome. It's always like yeah. this. Yeah. It's always so, like this. Is now a good time to pray, Rachel? Yeah, let's pray. I think we need some Holy Spirit <laughs> assistance here. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for... Um, for this day, for the season of Lent, for the, the Feast of St. Joseph tomorrow. Father, we ask you to please send us your Holy Spirit to be present in this discussion with us and with all of our listeners. Uh, Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to give us um, the grace of faith to be able to know, uh, to know your love for us, and to, to be able to see you as a loving Father first and foremost. And then I wanted to end with the prayer that Pope Francis has given us for um, in his letter about St. Joseph. Hail, guardian of the Redeemer, spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary. To you, God entrusted his only son. In you, Mary placed her trust. With you, Christ became man. Blessed Joseph, to us to show yourself a father and guide us in the path of life. Obtain for us grace, mercy, and courage, and defend us from every evil and technological difficulties. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, I have no idea what's been going on here. Hopefully, Mike will rejoin us momentarily. We'll see how this goes. Um, so tomorrow is the Solemnity of St. Joseph, which is kind of a big deal. I'm not sure how often this happens on a Friday in Lent, but like all my Facebook groups are telling me it's a meat Friday tomorrow. So I kind of wanted to ask what you guys are planning on eating tomorrow because I am definitely making bacon over here and saying a thank you mm -hmm. prayer to St. Joseph. Oh, Melinda's gone now. Hello, Paul. What are you eating tomorrow? The <laughs> <laughs> so my, my, my dad was over for dinner today and we had shrimp today. And he's like, hey, I want to make salmon tomorrow. I'm like, no, tomorrow's St. Joseph's feast day. We are. <laughs> We're having meat. Even if even we have, if we have to order pepperoni pizza, we're having meat tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, like there needs to be some kind of celebration here. This doesn't happen very often. Usually, it's like, oh, St. Patrick's Day is falling on a Friday. They're giving a dispensation. It might be okay to have meat on this day. But no, this is like this is legit. This is the solemnity of St. Joseph. Everyone really needs to celebrate yeah. this. It's also the eighth anniversary of Pope Francis's installation mass. So another big anniversary wait was this also the end of, was this the day that he uh released amoris laetitia as well i don't 
remember what day he actually released it initially. I think I thought that was in June, but I could be getting my dates. I thought that the spoiler we're going to be talking about the year of Amoris Laetitia, but I thought it starts (laughs) tomorrow because that's the anniversary of because it's the fifth anniversary of it. Yeah, that would make sense. Oh, Mike chimed in with Mike chimed in with the chat. He said yes. That's the day he signed it. Okay. We can't see you, Mike. Yeah. I don't think he wants to be seen. He is just going to stick behind the scenes. So, Melinda, you you weren't here. We are asking how you're celebrating the Solemnity of St. Joseph tomorrow. I know you're super big into, like, liturgical living, right? And you're going to bake yeah. special we're cupcakes. We're going to make special St. Joseph cupcakes. And then we're all going to play a game where we, like, go around the house and hide and go to, like, I don't know, a pilgrimage to Egypt or... Um, and then we're going to all make these super cute, like, wooden crafts, just if you're, like, super in touch with the, you know. Um, and then you're going to Instagram it, right? And then we're going to Instagram it with a filter. Um, and we're just going to pray, like, five devotions. I, I I can't tell you. They're, like, secret, like, super Catholic family devotions. Um, no. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know... What can I say? It's a it's a busy family life. Um, we are going to eat meat, so the kids get to learn about you know solemnity trumps you know Lent. Um, but you know one of my kids is named Joseph. His birth name is Joseph, so we'll talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and other than that, it you know I I wish I could really do something fancy, but it'll be you know pretty normal day, which might be you know more in line with Saint Joseph anyway. Yeah, that wow. kind of seems like a quiet, kind of behind the scenes, just prayerful day. Kind of seems in line with what St. Joseph do. Um, another possibility is taking a nap because we know that Pope Francis has this devotion to the sleeping St. Joseph and you can buy a statue of St. Joseph asleep. And this is now, he, that's my favorite favorite ever because I will absolutely be using that. I did not know that until now, but I am much more on board with that version than like St. Joseph face cupcakes. So I'm there. Yeah. Yeah, A nap. And do you just go to sleep and you're like, God, take care of it while I am sleeping. I will. They have guardian angels. So I'll be like, you know, take over for a bit. Yeah. (laughs) So they have very strong, the kids have very strong guardian angels. So, um, yeah, so they'll take over and then I'll channel yeah. my St. Joseph and sleep. Um, sounds like the best feast day ever. It is now my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Now my Joseph, favorite. The napping saint. That's yes. that's his new yes. title. Right. And then Terror, we got Terror of Demons, napping saint. That's amazing. I knew I loved Pope Francis. He understands. Maybe us. we fight, like maybe the demons are fought on our behalf by God while we're asleep. Maybe this is- <laughs> Okay, see, you're getting too intense now. Let's just keep it normal. Let's just get into our Catholic site. Okay, we're not we're not big into demons, but we are big into naps and yes. eating meat on Fridays when we can. Yes. Okay. So Hi. Mike Lewis is going to be back in a few. <laughs> um, we were going to jump into kind of the big news of the week. So on Monday, most of our viewers and future listeners probably already have heard about um, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith released a response to a question regarding the blessing of same-sex unions in the church. This made headlines really in all over Catholic media and it hit secular media as well. Um, So we we know that we need to talk about this. Uh, Before we really get into it, though, we definitely want to kind of 
put out a disclaimer a little bit here. Um, we realize that all three of us, and my conclusion this, we are straight, white, married Catholics. And so our perspective on this is definitely shaped by our own experiences living and following the church's teaching on marriage. Um, but that puts us in a privileged position in terms of our not being directly impacted by this response. So we don't want to speak about the experiences of LGBT Catholics for them. So our perspective here is not going to be to imagine what those experiences might be. Um, we do not want to come off as offensive. Please tell us if something that we are saying is less than sensitive um, to your experiences. We do want to do better and we do want to include other voices than our own. Um, our perspective here is really just to share the church's teaching um, or to share the perspective of Pope Francis and what we see in his magisterium. Um, we don't profess to have all the answers. So that was long-winded, but we just wanted to get that out there because we realized that this is really sensitive and a lot of people have been hurt this week and we just wanted to see that. So, um, Paul, on Monday, you posted a piece on our website um, that really answered or kind of recapped the document um, for our readers. Um, what, like, first of all, do we know anything about where the question might have come from that the CDF answered? Could you kind of, do you have any background on that um, based on reports you've read? Yeah, not, not much. Um, it's been widely said that... Um, this response from the CDF was inspired by the um, German bishops, but I haven't I haven't seen any like concrete evidence of that. I've kind of seen it presented as an assumption. Um, it seems like a good assumption, but that's all I know. Yeah, I mean that seems reasonable. Um, I also saw some speculation that it could have potentially been related to the documentary that came out last fall with the confusion around um, Pope Francis on civil unions that was in headlines and people said we might see clarification of that. But the bottom line is, I don't think we know what the question was, where it came from. Yeah. And, and just to, to jump in regarding the, the documentary, what I heard is that the, I guess the wide international release of that documentary is in the next couple of days. Like it might mm -hmm. be on, might be on Sunday or Monday, like on the discovery channel. So okay. they don't know if that's maybe what prompted it. Obviously it's been, and sorry if I'm repeating because I'm I No, you're not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, but I, I think that obviously it's been something that's been proposed um through the German synodal way. And there are a number of um bishops and priests who have who have made um who've either proposed it or they've started doing it, uh doing these these blessings. I know that um Cardinal Marx maybe four or five years ago. And the language he used was very nuanced. I know that different um, different people had different takes on exactly what he was saying, but he was giving an interview to a, um, to a secular media source in, in Germany. And they asked him, you know, would you, would you bless a same sex, uh, a civil union or, or a gay marriage? And he said, well, in a pastoral context, I would bless, you know, maybe I would bless a couple, um, you know, not not necessarily the nature of their union, and it wouldn't be like a liturgical rite. Um, that was taken, uh, reported by uh, an EWTN outlet as, as him saying that, um, you know, he was endorsing same-sex ceremonies. Um, 
And I, I don't, anyway, so this is, I mean, it's an issue that's been under discussion for some time. Yeah. Um, you know, there, it's, a, it's a complex theological question. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so if, uh, sorry to jump in there, I don't, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll try to get caught up in the conversation as it goes <laughs> on, but I just wanted to point out that it, that it was pointed out to me that it was mm -hmm. a, um, that, that documentary is going to be widely released soon. And also the, um, uh, there was one other thing that, oh, one thing that was strange and, and, uh, Jerry O'Connell, uh, mentioned it in the America podcast to Colleen Dully, uh, was that the language that was used, which is as opposed to typically when the Pope signs off on a CDF document, um, he will say, uh, or the document, the bottom of the document, or the top of the document, will say the uh, you know Pope, the the Roman, the Holy Pontiff Pope Francis uh, approves this message and ordered it to be published. Mm -hmm. And then it, this document, though, said Pope Francis was informed of this message and assented to it granted his assent for it to be published or gave his assent for yeah. it to be published, which was, uh, it was interesting language. And, you know, me being Mr. Google for, for criticizing uh, control F criticism. Uh, one of the things that I did was, you know, I searched the Vatican website to see like, where has this language, the Pope granted his assent or the Pope gave his assent or um, the Pope was informed as opposed to, you know, uh, uh, approved it. Um, and I think it was, and really the granting his assent, the only, the only time that that's used regularly in the Catholic church is when an Eastern Catholic church, like elects a new patriarch or a new metropolitan, a new head for their church. And it's like, so then the Pope's signing off on that, even though it's usually just a ceremonial thing, he grants his assent. Like, okay. So it's I kind of an unusual. Yeah. Like, so it's like, I recognize unusual verbiage this. attached yeah. to this. And yeah, I've also seen some reporting kind of making hay out of that, but it's not clear that we know right now what significance that might have or the process that was used for approving this document. But like the takeaway is this is still promulgated and it's yeah. still. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, it's I mean, I guess the thing is there's and I and coming from, you know, coming from my perspective and I, I know, you know, we do, we want to be we don't want to. One of the things is like I've seen people like dunking on others like, aha, you know, see, look, our, you know, we got this teaching. Take that, you, you know, you liberals. And I mean, obviously, this is an area of great of great sensitivity and we don't want to be disrespectful to anyone. But I mean, and and the language of a dubia response, you know, the very first thing in any official response to a dubia is, you know, affirmative or negative. And so it basically it starts off with the word negative and then follows with the explanation. Um, and given all that, I think it, it, it just it caught some people um, the wrong way. But I mean, in terms of in terms of Catholic doctrine, it's I mean, it's it's it, it breaks some new ground in terms of talking about positive qualities and the positive intentions of, of the people, you know, seeking the civil unions or seeking to, to give the blessings like a, a positive evangelistic purpose. But, um, but in terms yeah, of, I think 
Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I think and we were going to like try to talk about that language in particular. I know that speaking with Paul prior to this, like he, you had pointed out some kind of innovation in how, in the language that was used um, in the document. I don't know if you want to elaborate on what you yeah. saw that might've been new and different. Yeah. It's, it, I'm not sure it's innovation. Um, this document struck me um, as very different in tone from other CDF documents written about homosexuality. Um, like, like right away in the very, very first paragraph, it starts out, um, it starts out affirming the desire behind those seeking to bless same-sex unions. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't like chastising them in any way. And if like it recognized it and it affirmed it by quoting Amoris Letizia where, where the Pope talked about how we need to find ways to, to minister and, um, and like accompany LGBT persons. Right? Reaffirm, yeah. Um, so like right away it, it has this, this tone of affirming that desire. And it also, I think reiterates about twice, um, the catechism's teaching and then Pope Francis's teaching about um, unjust discrimination, um, how we cannot have any unjust discrimination um, against LGBT persons. And then, um, yeah, so it starts off, like Mike said, with a question and the response, um, but the tone is really different. And Mike had mentioned too how uh, it, and the, I think this is the first time in a magisterial document where the church recognized that there can be positive elements to same-sex unions. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was mentioned in one of the working documents for the Synod on the Family, but it wasn't, um, I don't think this, it's ever been in a magisterial document before. So these were some of the things that stood out for me as differences um, that I think really in, embodied a lot of Pope Francis's method when talking about this issue but that has been different from how the CDF has talked about it before. So how, how do you see it as illustrating or embodying Pope Francis's method? Like, what would you say his method is like accompaniment? Like, could we see this in that framework of accompaniment as a, an evangelical method? Like, Wait, or well, how would you describe it? Well, yeah, I think first of all, recognizing. So in um, the Pope's document on holiness, uh, rejoice and be glad. In the section where he opposes Gnosticism, he talks about how like the Gnostic wants to see things in black and white and wants to deny that that grace could possibly be in something that's that's uh, that's bad. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and the Pope says, no, like grace is in God is present in every person's life, no matter how wrecked or shattered their life may seem. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's very much the pastoral approach of Francis. So you see him interacting um uh, with, with gay persons, with, with anybody. Right. And his first thing is to, uh, meet them where they're at, uh, affirm God working in their life, um, and affirm God's love for them and their dignity. And that's, uh, and that's his first approach. Um, I, I wish this document, and it had some of this, like there was a discussion in this document where it went out of its way to say, well, um, well, the church is not able to bless same-sex unions. We can definitely bless, um, gay persons, right? Mm -hmm. Because because gay persons are and cannot be disordered, right? Persons right. cannot be. So it said that. Um, I I wished it would have had something more explicit, 
where just having an unmitigated sta statement that the, the gay persons are infinitely loved by God and have infinite value and just make that objective statement, um, which isn't to say that, that the document opposes that in any way, but I think saying that has a lot of meaning. Um, so it was definitely, that was implied in the document. I wish it was stated. Um, so that's where I think it, it was different than Pope, Pope Francis's normal rhetoric, but I think much further in a positive way from previous rhetoric from CDF documents. So it's sort of like a step, a development in terms of taking into account pastoral language, yeah, but I, not, it's not where a lot of people would like yeah. it to be, yeah. but it is a step. And I have heard, you know, I was reading like Eve Tushnet had a couple of posts about um, just her reaction and her response to this. And she was also quoted in America Magazine, like reaction post. Um, and she talked about those needing further development on positive elements in same-sex relationships, um, particularly like spiritual friendships between same-sex individuals um, and that the church needs to provide more pastoral care in those in, in that area. Like what yeah. are the positive elements? How can we cultivate the, them and develop that? And, and I agree, though I think that was probably beyond the scope. Like this, yeah. this document was only two pages. It was asked a very specific question that was really about the sacramental theology of the church. And it gave a, a pretty narrow and um, nuanced answer. Mm -hmm. So I think, so that it went out of its way to say that there are positive elements in same-sex unions, I think was a big deal. Um, that it didn't say more than that doesn't surprise me, um, but it certainly like leaves the door open for um, more teaching um, mm -hmm. and more depth there. And I'd like to jump in and just say in terms of Pope Francis's message, because I think like we said, it's it's a difficult line that we have to that that we're trying to walk here because there's, um, but I think Pope Francis is also trying to walk this line. Uh, he did it with Amoris Laetitia. Um, he's done it in a lot of his uh, personal gestures and meeting with people of other religions and meeting uh, with people you know from all kinds of backgrounds. And basically, what he has, the conversation that he has started is okay we have these these unchanging teachings like right now the only licit you know the the only um kind of of sexual activity that's approved by the church is is within the context of of a marriage between a man and a woman that said we also you know one thing that pope francis is very cognizant of um the fact that everybody is on a journey. Everybody is influenced by their background, by their psychology, by their upbringing, by their culture, by their biology. We're all at different places in our, in our journey. And for that reason, a one size fits all approach to evangelization, to accompaniment, to, um, to, to being pastoral, to tolerance, to uh, to being forgiving and merciful, like a one size fits all approach simply doesn't work. And I think one of the things that that he recognizes is that um, you know we need to we need to how are these rules 
that we that have been in the past that have been restrictive and set in stone. Like how how far can we go as Christians? How far can we um, show Christ to another person without judgment, without prefacing or or you know following up every statement? God loves you, but you need to change this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know how like under what context can we simply say to someone god loves you god loves you unconditionally um let's let's set aside the the second things and let's talk about the first things which are that god created us god loves us jesus died and rose from the dead to save us um for our eternal life for him if we don't accept that then then any any moral teaching is just going to come off as irrelevant um yeah, it, right. it, and that's one of pope francis's <laughs> key points in the in the joy of the gospel where when he talks about the kerygma it's like the proclamation of the kerygma which is precisely what you said mike it's it's god's infinite love for this person that you're speaking to um and jesus's life with them that proclamation m precedes any religious or moral obligation right that proclamation comes first but but what i see in the church at least in the united states so often is we can't even do that so so even in the article that i wrote on monday where where, where i make this statement um like um like same the church is saying same-sex unions are disordered but 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 lgbt persons are not right and there was a person who commented and was like well i think that obscures the fact that like um like the church says that the homosexual inclinations are objectively disordered. I'm like, wait, wait, can we just stop there and just say that every person, in, including gay persons, including any person, are loved by God infinitely and have infinite value mm -hmm. and are not disordered? Can we just stop there? And this commenter was unable, unable to do that. But I mean, it's far from just him. And I think that's the problem is we... we... Well, and to that note too, all of us have... Like we're all disordered, whether we're gay or straight, none of us evades being disordered. And so for me, where I struggle is that when I walk up into the church, I like people have assumptions, right? That because I'm straight or because I'm married or because I have these kids, that somehow I'm holistically living the church's full teaching on sexuality. And the reality is, is that in large ways, I'm not. And like, I'll just own that before I have my own struggles within the within my marriage. I have my own struggles within my own sexuality. I have my own things that are not completely where the ideal would be. Right. And so I think for me, it just I look at married people and I think, why are we always given the pass? And yet as, as if somehow just because we're straight, our sexuality is perfect. And yet, mm -hmm. um, gay Catholics are automatically seen and, and distinguished by a disorder or, you know, or with suspicion as, or about, with suspicion yeah. as if they must be disordered, which is just not even, it's not even the truth. And it's not even the same standards that we hold married people to. And I think, and I know I speak a lot on this apologetics movement, but I think when we talk about this teaching, the teaching itself is very hard and, and very, there's a lot of, clarity in the sense of the teaching has set very defined boundaries, right? And when a teaching is so hard and when a teaching is clear, then it's not really our job, 
right? To to drill that home or expound on it incessantly. But I look hammer at it all the time. Right. And I look at the apologetics movement and we have a well-funded movement in this country that largely harps on this one issue as if somehow they have to beat it over and prove it over and over and over again that this is the way, this is the life. And I'm like, well, why have we lost the sense of seeing the person or why have we just demonized this one issue? It's disproportionate while we don't talk about Catholic marriages and the problems with straight relationships and the problems with gender roles in straight relationships and the gaping issues that we have sitting in our pews from married people. And so I don't want to go on that spig, but I think, I mean, I guess I do, but I think that's what bothers me most is that it's always about looking at the other. And so I think I really appreciated Dawn's piece that we published, I think today or yesterday. Yeah, it went up today. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciated that because it does kind of speak to the, maybe if we were talking about the issues in a broader way of what, um, of what love is and what the human person and all that. Maybe if we were talking about that instead of just demonizes the, the demonizing this one particular category all the time, we could get further. And, and you know, it's funny because, I, I mean, you bring up, but I, you know, one of Bishop Strickland has had a lot of outrageous tweets. Bishop Joseph Strickland from from Texas, Tyler, Texas. But I think one of the most outrageous tweets that he has ever made. And there have been a lot of them. I mean, denying vaccines. He accidentally tweeted out a set of Vacantist website one time, um, <laughs> recommending it as a great site. It was when he said, we don't have a problem with, our real problem isn't racism, it's atheism. Now, this is a man who is the bishop in a city that has racist laws still on its books. Wow. He's in the deep South. And, you know, it wasn't the atheists who imposed Jim Crow. It wasn't the atheists who enslaved black persons. It was, you know, it wasn't atheists who drove Native Americans off their territory. And here he is in a, and it, but it's like, oh yeah, no, the problem isn't some, like, because if anything, if he's, if he's nothing else, he is not an atheist. <laughs> so well, the real problem depends on how you define the term. Well, because he, he's trying to play the atheism thing like, oh, the yeah. problem with racism and sin is a form of atheism where we don't believe in God and the wholeness. Right. He mm -hmm. meant what he said, which was a deflection. But he used that kind of teaching as a. You know, as a, we as let a people I'm define themselves <laughs> yeah. so, use the okay. terms that they prefer. <laughs> I'm just using his own metric. If we're gonna metric sin by a form of atheism, then some of the stuff he says is sinful, and I'm gonna say that because it is. Um, so if we're gonna metric, you know, sin by atheism, then okay. Yeah, but but okay. but it's this, but this turning. Is... It's like it's like just like uh, Mark Shea has always said, and I think he said it again. Why are we always focusing on the things, on the temptations that we don't have, on the sins right. that don't affect us? I mean, the thing is, it's I mean, it's like it's like so. All four of us are 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 married to people of the opposite, you know, very traditional in the in the Catholic sense, and it's like it's the easiest thing in the world. And, and I mean, having grown up as you know, in sort of in some of those circles and having been brought up on some of these apologetics and some of this rhetoric, 
it was really easy, like the other, mm-hmm. you know. And but but what you what you come to realize is that, you know, it, it's not it's not a it's not a choice to have to to be gay to be you know you meet people and it's like. I don't know. There was a an article written by Patrick Flores. I don't know if anybody else read it. Um, he um, it came out yesterday, probably in response to the CDF document. And I mean, it's 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 a sad. I mean, it's a sad tale, or or at least a very complex one. Um, and it basically he was from you know he he recognized that he was gay from a very young age. Um, from 16 years old on, he spent probably the next 12 or 14 years of his life, um, you know, being very active in the church. Uh, he was in sem- seminary for four years, taught religion for two years, joined a religious order for four years. And he he realized that he didn't have a, um, a vocation to the religious life. He, pr- he tried to practice just lay celibacy. And, and he just sort of felt like that, you know, the three options that the church gave him, which were, you know, religious life, the priesthood, and celibate single life. Um, and he tried all three of them, and he felt this otherness, and he felt this scandal. And, I mean, he's, you know, ultimately, you know, he, he wound up um, deciding in his own, in his own life that, that these teachings didn't work. And it's, you know, it's like one of those things where the, the options that we offer or the, Oh, well, you know, you, but I, I mean, even when we have people, people will say that people that, you know, with who are, who have this orient, who, who have different orientations shouldn't go into the priesthood or are unfit because they wouldn't make good fathers and husbands I've, I've read in the past. I mean, it, it's, it's like everybody has that desire for a family and, and not everyone has heroic virtue. And, and I think that we need to have a little bit more empathy. I mean, all of us have concupiscence, whatever our, whatever our sin is, whatever our temptation is, whether it's in a, you know, an addiction or a compulsion or just, liking something that is against church teaching, you know, whatever it is. And we need to realize, and sometimes we just can't stop whatever it is that the church tells us is wrong. And we need to frame what, um, you know, we need to apply that empathy to other people, whatever their situation is, whether it's divorced or remarried, LGBT, um, alcoholics i mean whatever the whatever the issue is we it's like we have a serious empathy deficit in the yeah, church and right I'll, now that empathy deficit is on display in a lot of the commentary we saw really immediately after that letter was or that response was released earlier this week like you mentioned earlier people kind of dunking and just using it as a bludgeon to make a point um instead of leading with kind of an empathetic i understand that others are hurt by this and that. Well, and you you won't believe the number of people who DM'd me or who called me out mm-hmm. on Twitter or on Facebook and said, "So, Mike, you say that you're into defending the magisterium. Well, when are you going to go after the people who dissent from the church on on this?" Yeah, and it's just <laughs> so disgusting. Not constructive. What does it prove to you? Like, yeah. what does it and- prove to you to be able to name someone else's 
Like, what does that prove? I don't. Yeah. Well, and, and, and one thing that I've been very, here's the thing that I've been very clear about since the beginning of this website, whether you like it or not, <laughs> what the main, and, and there's a piece I wrote, you can Google it, followers of the Imagisterium, the with Magisterium with the letter I in front of it. It's a portmanteau. The Hi, we're with you. Keep going. We'll, we'll grab it. And so okay. the imagine, yeah, grab who one of you while I while I talk for the next twenty five <laughs> minutes. You can Imagisterium. <laughs> so okay, so man. here's the thing. This is this is the issue that I have when the church teaches something officially, mm-hmm. and let's say death penalty is inadmissible or you know under certain circumstances people in irregular marriage situations may receive the sacraments under these criteria that is what the church teaches that is church teaching objectively speaking it's on the books in some it's it's in an exhortation it's in the catechism it's in an encyclical like this is a church teaching and the problem that we have is there's this movement within the church that is trying to say that church, that thing that the church just taught, that's that's not the real church teaching. The real church teaching is this thing that I wrote on my angry blog, you know, and I keep writing about it every other week. And that is living in denial. That's living in a fantasy world. That's saying the church teaches something that the church doesn't actually teach. And that's something, and and that is something that has become epidemic during the papacy of Pope Francis. People don't recognize his magisterial authority, his canonical authority, his primacy as Pope. Now, if they were to say, I understand that the church teaches that the death penalty is inadmissible, but I cannot accept that teaching in good conscience, or I have real struggles with that teaching because of something that happened in my past, you know, that's dissent that you admit to. You admit you have a problem with the teaching. There is nobody on God's green earth who knows who knows what the Catholic Church teaches on homosexual acts and says, oh, but the church really said, the real church teaching is that it's okay. No, they, they disagree with the church teaching they struggle with the church teaching. They're honest about the church teaching. I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but it's... No, that, you are. Perfectly. <laughs> Honesty is important. Really, that's a yeah. great distinction to make, honestly. It really is. And, mm-hmm. and and also those that you see online, they, you know, they're voicing hurt and pain and frustration. And But you're right. It's not a denial that this is the church teaching. And in fact, if a gay couple wants to get married, nowhere... Would that be allowed? Would a priest actually marry the church because the church's teaching is clear? Unlike these other areas where people are trying to muddle up like what the actual teaching is. And that kind of goes back to my point too, is when the church teaching is like defined, right? Why would you not approach it with the most compassion and the most like like empathy, but also the most listening, like listen to the lived experiences of people, you know, as a married woman, I very much have had other moms and other couples come and we talk about how we don't live up to our, you know, whatever that is, right? Why would you not want to listen that the faith is never ideal? 
ever. It's never lived ideally because we're so, all of us have a brokenness about us. So why at that point, the church has spoken. So it's like, for me, for straight people, like open your ears and listen to it lived, listen to what it looks like in the lived experience so that we can learn, you know, so that we can learn, so we can learn. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and that's, I mean, that's Pope Francis's big thing is that the realities are more important than ideas. Mm-hmm. And it's from there that then he talks about the importance of listening to people because their experience actually means something. And the problem, like you were saying with the, the um, apologetics movement, which isn't just that, but so much of it is we have our ideas and we're not willing to um, listen to people's stories. We're like, oh, my idea says you're in this box and you can only be in this category, right? There's no nuance. There's no room for um, real people. There's no room for real people when you make boxes like that. And I think that Don's post that we published today kind of highlights just one specific area where that's really been a problem. Um, And like how, when we take a particular issue out of its full context that we distort church teaching and we hyper-focus on this one area. And so um, like what she was saying in her piece was exactly what we've been talking about that we we end up talking about problems we don't personally have and that we also distort the church's teaching like her example she gave was the distortion of the theology of the body the teachings of john paul ii that have really been popularized in american catholic circles by people like christopher west or even like dr greg popchak and um, a few others who wrote like really popular texts that are kind of out there that people read um, but that have just a subtle problem and distortion in their emphasis that turns it into like sexy teaching that doesn't um open us up to the reality of love and so her point was that because of that distortion you then had this distortion and lack of acceptance of deus caritas s which was pope benedict's encyclical on love which was not sexy like i don't it's been a while since i read it but there was not much in there even about marriage if i'm recalling correctly like there was it was a a sub point um and so like Don made the point that Amoris Laetitia has not been received by the church and Deus Caritas Est has also not been received by the church in America um, because we have this hyper focus on sexuality in our teaching that leads us not to talk about the problems married people have, but the problems other people have in not living out this sexual teaching as we've kind of focused and, on it. And and it collapses love. I like you were just saying, it collapses love yeah. into sex. And I mean, that's even something that... Um, well, I was looking at the the Pope's letter about St. Joseph, and he has mm-hmm. a, a paragraph in there where he talks about the title of Joseph as uh, most chaste, right? Now, he, he doesn't talk about him not having sex with Mary because Mary's a perpetual virgin. He doesn't talk about that at all. He says, no, chaste mm-hmm. love is love free from possessiveness that allows the people that you love to make their own choices because they also have freedom. And that, and that loves without use and loves without strings attached, right? That's chaste love. Now, is there anything inherently sexual about that? No. Like chaste love, the, the, the catechism says, chastity is the form of all virtues. And Jesus, who was obviously never married, is the model of chastity. Um, but we don't talk about chastity like that. We only talk about it, you know, as like, you know, what's Dr. Popchek's line, mind blowing and toe curling, right? Like that's, <laughs> so, that's how we talk about chastity. We, it's like we abstract chastity 
away from concretely loving the person in front of you. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it as a thing that those other people struggle with and not about how do I love my spouse and my kids better today. Well, or chastity as an omission, as opposed to an action too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where you get this overlap with purity culture, like mm-hmm. where you have some conservative Catholic circles talking about theology of the body are really just kind of falling into evangelical purity culture and kind of being suspicious of dating and talking about courtship and modesty rules and such. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like it's terrible on the ground that the way we talk about chastity, where like mm-hmm. um, if a boyfriend and girlfriend are fooling around, like, yeah, that's unchaste. But but we don't talk about consent at all. Like if you can't get consent right, you can't get chastity right. If you can't respect someone enough to get consent, you not chase love. Or or there's priests who will, you know, talk about NFP and um, and talk about theology of the body, but but then, you know, they'll say that marital rape isn't a thing, right? It's like we've abstracted chastity away from actually loving Unitive the person love. in front of you. <laughs> Self-giving, right? Yeah. Yeah. How can you say, this is what blows me, how can you say marital rape isn't a thing, but then like focus so much on homosexuality? What? This is exactly what I'm talking about. These circles, they don't want to talk about the gross disorders in their own versions of chastity, love, marriage. And it's all about um, the other. Because you're right, that is pervasive in these circles. Um, is this idea of like, you know, you can't be raped if you're married or you have to always, you well, know. It's the marital debt. I mean, oh, okay, how much time do we have left? I got time. We can talk I know, about I'm it. Not, I'm not, I was just, we I can was start. Just... Let me bring up my girl, Maria Goretti. Oh, <laughs> I got lots of things to talk say about. about so yeah. you let me know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's true. It's, it is really unfortunate. Um, you know, another thing I wanted to kind of um, allude to, though, and I, and I definitely would not want to leave this podcast without saying this, too is that perhaps like straight people should be talking about homophobia more than they're talking about homosexuality, especially Mm -hmm. with this disproportionate emphasis on sex being, if you have the right kind of sex, you know, if you have um, straight sex that's married, that's not contracepting, that's the end all be all for your Catholic definition, right? So knowing Mm -hmm. that perhaps straight people, especially straight Catholics, should be talking about homophobia more than the sin of the other, right? Um, And I wanted to just um, also say that I think sometimes it's about not focusing on your sin. And then sometimes even like in the media world, like it's intentional because after, um, you know, after George Floyd, I think I told you guys this privately, we were talking, but after George Floyd, um, a lot, I actually counted the amount of times that popular um, sites like Catholic Answers and even some other um, individual apologists they literally increased the quantity of the articles on abortion politics and on um, homosexuality in the aftermath of that, while they were silent on racism. And so for me, that was around the time that I started jumping onto an online presence because I noticed immediately they are scapegoating constantly this one group of people to deflect from other issues that they aren't politically considering important or trying to intentionally devalue or are just simply racist against. And so I think when I jumped onto Catholic Twitter six months ago, what I noticed was this incredible amount, and I will call it homophobia, where you overfixate on the sin of the other to deflect from your own sin. And it's a real thing. And so for me, 
just following these, um, you know, um, LGBT um, Catholics, like, and just listening for all these months and not trying to say too much, but just listening. What I see is a world of hurt that's caused by so many people doing just that. And I really can't see much beyond that, honestly. I want to talk about something right now. I want to bring it up. <laughs> Maria Goretti, or is it on topic? Oh, no. What are we talking it's about? It's on topic. It is okay, on topic. Let's go. Let's go. There are, there are two words. Oh, boy. That set off a certain amount, a certain group of Catholics in any context. Worse than, worse than Satan. Worse than King Herod. Worse than thinking about Herod. <laughs> these are the two are these are the about? two words james martin oh yeah that's true he father martin is basically doing what um first of all he's he is pledged and has done a as far as i can tell a good job of not challenging and not contradicting mm-hmm. uh catholic teaching on sexuality uh, in terms of in terms of acts, in terms of um, those kinds of things, he's never he, openly never never <laughs> and never. and Correct. actually, I mean, I've gotten a normal n- not even really privately. I mean, people. I mean, I guess the thing is, people can people definitely make assumptions about what he believes or what he thinks. Um, but and they'll do it without citations. You'll see oh, this yeah. They say, they say, they say, and and this is just the thing. They say, you you know, what they'll say is you're always attacking Burke, Vigano, Schneider, Strickland, Taylor Marshall, Michael Voris, the list, 33 people. How come you never mention? And there's only one name (laughs) that they ever use. And it's James Martin. (sighs) And I mean, I just have to say, like, and I wrote a piece where I, where that actually I was, I was very inspired by a a talk that he gave, which I think is very relevant to this topic, a talk that he gave to college, Catholic college administrators. And what he spoke about was how um, Catholics who grow up in, they grow up in the church, they grow up in, maybe in very devout families and they discover, just like this Daniel Flores that or Patrick Flores that I mentioned earlier, um, that that they that they have uh, that their orientation that they're you know either that they have a gender dysphoria or they're attracted to the same sex that they're you know they're gay or lesbian, and they realize all of a sudden, oh no, like my life is going to be different from this point, and they struggle with it. They they I mean it's sort of like they know. If I tell anyone, that's going to stigmatize me, which is true in these circles. I mean, even if you're, you know, they they really want to know, are you really celibate? Is you, you know, but also kind of keeping an eye out, and and they think differently of, of someone who says that. Um, they they, they um, you know, and and the thing is, it's like the level of of self hatred, self loathing, um, the level of of suicide depression. I mean, for people who struggle with this, with, you know, with this contradiction and it's not something that's their fault. And the thing is, and, and so I, the piece I wrote on, on the, it was the, I, I finished it. Basically I wrote the piece in response to a first things article 
by uh, the editor of another publication who basically said that the problem with Father Martin is because he doesn't have the proper anthropology of the human being. And he's like, you know, we must not focus on that, this person, you know, and it was basically like this whole like theoretical about how he didn't get his, you know, categories right because he, because he didn't, because he didn't bring up the, but like God loves you, but you need, and I mean, sometimes, you know, it's like Melinda's always teasing me because of like my, my self-love issues and and things like that but it's like one of the things that really thanks for <laughs> laughing at me <laughs> no, but, but it's, but it's really it's really psychologically damaging when you're a child and you do not experience unconditional love like god unconditionally loves you but if you know like if you grow up thinking if if my parents know this about me, or let's say your parents do know this about you. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, your, your sexuality. It could be, it could be anything, but if, if you're constantly hearing the, but whether it's internally or they're actually saying it out loud, you know, you're, you're usually a good boy, but you have this. And, and it's like, that sticks with you or I love you, but you drive me crazy. So like, if that's all, you're hearing like, and I mean, there, there've been studies done on critical parenting and critical upbringing and the, and the church is in many ways a parent, right? Um, That can, I mean, at some point we have to do what father Martin does, which is extend that open hand, regardless of who you are. God loves you. God affirms you. I accept you. And I think Pope Francis has modeled that in a, in a very, strong way. I mean, one of the things, uh, I mean, the thing is, yes, his, his words were distorted or, or edited in a creative way in, in the Francesco documentary. But that said, there were at least two uh, gay couples that he met with, spoke to, um, you know, they had, I think one of them even had children, um, was encouraging to, was kind to, you know, it's like, let's extend friendship, fraternity, God's love. If we don't have that level of trust, then all we're doing is moralizing at people or shouting people down or judging. And it's like, we've got, we've got planks in our own eyes. You know, let's, let's, let's take a step back and like love one another for a while and not, not throw hate at one another. And I, I mean, I know all kinds of crazy things going on in the world, but it's like, I think as a church, it's, it's some, this judgmentalism, this, um, this, this applying pressure on people for things that they can't change or things that have happened in the past. Um, it, it, it's unproductive. And targeted judgmentalism too. Like oh, yeah. why is the butt only on this issue? Why? I mean, I think- I'm going to be blunt. Nobody cares about the racism in the pews of the church. Nobody's like, hey, you can't come in because you're a racist. And I think people are just, it's this American puritanical thing. People are going to be surprised when they meet Jesus that he cared a little bit more about um, sins that um, harm people in the sense of like oppress people, you know, um, racism, racial injustice, all those things. 
um, you know, the sins against the poor, like those things matter. But here it's just the butt is just on a sexual issue. That's it. And it makes no sense. I think it goes back to what Mike was saying about putting first things first and second things second. And we tend to reverse the order and put those second things first. And Pope Francis is trying. I mean, I think going back to previous popes, they've also tried to reorient us to first to the first things. Um, but we just don't hear it. <laughs> it takes us a while to process it or something. Um, but Pope Francis's method is, especially on teaching about love in the family and on family life, is to reorient us towards the broader perspective. And we were going to get to this last, I guess, but this year of the family, it's the Amoris Laetitia year of the family is starting tomorrow. The Amoris um, Laetitia family year. Family which is, year. Okay. Which is, a, I don't know if it's like it a direct translation from, from Italian. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue. Um, but one of the striking things about the way Pope Francis approaches like teaching on family love is he does drill down to like really practical, like expressions like he often says you know the three most important words are what please thank you and like may i or something like he, yeah. he just has really concrete like suggestions um but he is bringing up amoris Laetitia for the whole church to reflect on for a whole year five years after its original publication um so i'm kind of wondering what you guys think about this and you know where it's gonna go <laughs> um <laughs> What right. do we think is going to happen? I, I wrote, so I wrote about this because it, there's a so there's a live event some point tomorrow um, being put on by the Vatican and and if you look at my piece that I that I wrote yesterday um, called "Put the Dubia in the Dustbin." Put the Dubia um, in the Dustbin. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> the the alliteration. Um, and so the reason, you know, it's interesting because I, I I read this announcement. Let me pull up the um. I, I read this announcement for this kickoff event. So it's the feast of Saint Joseph, which, as I was typing in the um, in the in the little private like host box while my while my sound wasn't working, um, it's the it's Saint Joseph's Day is the is the release of is the date of the signing, the anniversary of the date of the signing. Five years into it. Um, the online event is called Our Daily Love, and it's to help promote a greater implementation of Amoris Laetitia. And I'm looking at my other screen here. That's why my head yeah. is turned. Um, and basically, it said that this online event to kick off this year is the beginning of a path rather than a celebration. As the apostolic exhortation contains a wealth that is yet to be discovered. And then it says that the organizer explained that the Pope wants to provoke the entire church into action in this regard. And the reason for this, so in other words, what they're saying is that this exhortation, which is, I think, nine chapters long, it's one of the lo longest exhortations yeah. on record, has not become fully implemented. And I think that is a commentary on the resistance to the teaching. Now it's funny because we talk about this CDF document that starts with the word negative. negative. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the thing is they were, it, it, it was almost better that I, that that was up front because it, with Amoris Laetitia, the media story here, he has 
He hosts two synods, like an extraordinary one and a regular one, each of them with a couple hundred bishops at them to discuss the crisis on the family from all aspects. I mean, anybody who's anybody can see that there are problems with the family going on right now. Divorce, uh, we've got abuse, we've got neglect, trying to trying to raise kids in this world. There's drugs, there's poverty. I mean, we're talking global family. We're not just talking about American suburban Catholics. Um, and so this was a chance for the bishops of the world, the bishops of Africa, the bishops of Latin America, the bishops of um, Europe, wherever, to get together and discuss how the Catholic Church is going to address the needs of the family and the crisis of the family in our present age. Now, 40 years ago, there was another synod on the family, and the, the, the fruit of that was Familiaris Consortio. The world that we're in today, I mean, 40 years, a lot has changed. Um, and one of the discussions that came up now, during John Paul II's papacy, it was basically quashed was the potential that people who were divorced and remarried, but let's say they came to their faith, you know, that maybe they were raised Catholic and kind of fell away after first communion or confirmation, and then, you know, lived wild lives and found themselves on their, on their fourth husband. And all of a sudden they have a conversion experience and they want to return to the Catholic church. But as anyone who's sort of studied church marriage issues knows, if you've got baggage behind you, let's say it was your fault at the time, you, you know, you made bad choices, but now you've decided, now it's occurred to you, wow, I want to return to the church. There are a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. And so Pope Francis you know, basically looked at, assessed the situation. Well, the, you know, the, the annulment process is too complicated, is very complicated and very long. Some people, because of technicalities, can't even obtain one. Like if they can't track down the other spouse. <laughs> so, so Mike's talking for 20 minutes. I'm listing all the things. I'm rereading Amoris Letizia for a long time. Did I'm you like, finish it during the time I was talking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. I, I got that far, Mike. That far. Yeah. Um, and as I'm going through it, because I, I read it years ago, and I'm like, this is, there's amazing stuff in here. So, and and stuff that I never hear talked about. So he talks about like the celibate vocation um, and the married vocation. And the like a traditional like formulation of the church is that like the celibate vocation is objectively better, whatever that means. And the Pope says, there's no, there's no, there's nothing in scripture that would indicate that um, that there's like an objective lesser or higher here, Ladder, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wow, why is nobody talking about that, right? Or I feel like JP2 made like, that point. I thought like, St. Paul said there was. Kind, <laughs> but not degree. Like, like, like if you're going to sin, it's better But we need marry. to emphasize yeah. it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then, I, okay. So I'm right. with Mike, though. I feel like I've heard the contrary backed up by scripture. So I'm pretty excited to see. Yeah, what Paul it's, is saying. It's in there. But 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 there's also things like um when he's talking about the domestic church, often when I hear people talk about the domestic church, they're like, you gotta make those Saint Joseph cupcakes, right? You gotta or, bring the liturgical year or, into your family. And fill you your gotta make those, 
Or yeah, or you got to make those ten kids, right? Yeah, yeah. But when the Pope talks about the domestic church and the Mars Laetitia, he's like, the church looks to the family to find its own identity, right? It's not the other way around. Um, and I mean, there's just so many things where I'm like, well, we've never talked about this. We've never talked about this. So much of, at least in the United States, like the theology of the body or NFP culture misses some of these key, not even pastoral things, but straight up like theological principles in Amoris Laetitia that we've just ignored entirely. I mean, it's just about how because to be we're Christian. Talking, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. because we're, but then there's chapter four of this document that's where the Pope goes through the, the line, the passage from St. Paul about love is patient, love is kind. And he gives like a like, I mean, it feels like a punch to the gut with every single one of these, like an examination of conscience, like this is how to love this way and concretely in the family. And I'm like, oh, man, I need like to go to confession again. But um, but we missed all of that. And yeah, I'm I'm excited that the Pope devoted another year to looking at this because nobody's looked at this and nobody's taken this seriously. Right. I, I think it's providential too, because I think for me, like in the last couple of years, I've been seeing this like almost idolization of the family and this like insular nature nature of the family, which I've talked about plenty. Um, but I am uh, going to be doing chapter five of it for the study guide we're releasing, which is prophetic for where we are in terms of needing to have um, to rediscover the family that pours out. So I, you know, I guess we missed it all the, I was reading it again, just astounded, but I guess we missed it all that first go around. But I think in Providence, everything, you know, God, God works everything. And so um, I think it's, it's just a, it's a great time to go through some of the other aspects of, of the document that are so relevant right now. Did you assign all the chapters, Paul? I did. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know well, talk about this now since we've alluded to it. So you have this project. So everyone knows. Yeah, Melinda spilled beans. <laughs> oh, so we hey guys. Some, yeah, no, I think it's a good really... thing that people. Well, I don't know. It's I'm not. I'm not. I'm okay, not so apparently writing a section, which is good, fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul, what is the study guide? What's the plan? I know I'm yeah. supposed to write something for you. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Last year or something. Mike was talking to me about how we need more like catechetical materials on our website. And I'm a catechist, so I'm all about this. So after Fratelli Tutti came out in October and there was nothing, I saw, I mean, I haven't seen like my own diocese talk about it at all. I mean, I've seen nobody talk about Fratelli Tutti. Our Archbishop just did. He just had a webinar. Fantastic. So, <laughs> so, there's, so there's one, you know, um, yeah. you know, and there's a few more, but it just, I, like I read it in October and with, with COVID, with um, the, the, the racial discussion from the summer, with the election, like it was everything that we needed to hear at that moment and nobody's talking about it. So um, in November and December, I was like, we should write a study guide for like church small groups to use, to, to read through it. Mm -hmm. So uh uh, Dan and I worked together on that one and got a bunch of collaborators and paved the way and it went pretty well. And I, I was, I was really excited about it. it. Turned out, I mean, it's one of the, one of the projects I'm most proud of. It just, it was really cool. So then when the Pope announced the year of Amoris Laetitia, I'm like, we need to do this too. So mm -hmm. um, we're hoping to, we're getting, I just checked in with all the writers last week 
And, you know, nobody's written anything yet, but they all promised to get it to me in the next two weeks. So it's fine. I'm, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> so you're not going to have it in time for tomorrow when the week, <laughs> when the year starts? You just called us all out of the like, like, Here's two of the writers. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> I, I wasn't pointing fingers. I wasn't naming names. Okay, um, so uh, we're hoping we're hoping to release it um, in early May. So if we if we can get it out for the next St. Joseph feast on May first, we'll do that. Or you know, there's Mother's Day, or you know, May is all about Mary. Well, as I'm long sure as you squeeze it into the the Amoris Laetitia family year. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Fa yeah. Family year. As long as you get it somewhere in there, you're good. Right? Would it be terrible if we like finished it like two days after the year? And would we get like I don't think we're that far behind? It wouldn't be <laughs> terrible because you know what? Amoris Letizia is going to be with us. It's part of the magisterium. So unless Cardinal Burke gets elected pope and okay, stop. <laughs> well, I'm gonna paint another beautiful cover for this study guide like she did for the other one, because that oh, was amazing everyone oh, yeah. needs to go yeah. <laughs> yeah so she did uh her, her own rendition of the uh good samaritan mm -hmm. on the cover and that was really neat because we worked together on that because i have zero artistic ability whatsoever but i really like icons and religious symbolism so i'm like oh you could add like this symbolism and she's like oh that's a great idea so then she like it's really neat being married to an artist because i can be like okay i wanted to have all these symbols and then she can like make it happen and, do it. <laughs> in a wonderful way so yeah, so, so we've been talking about what um, she can do for us for the Morris Letizia one. Great. Well, I think that's all we have for this episode. We went over time with those technical difficulties. You guys There's... all went over time. Gosh. I, I, I don't... <laughs> what's the mic at all? Yeah, I don't think you can blame the technical difficulties for that one. Yeah, okay, well. I was finishing my story, and you cut me off right in the if... middle of it. For, my, for those of you who are Patreon subscribers, I'm going to start my own live stream and just... <laughs> Oh just talk into the camera like an old man. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for this week. We will see you all next week. Have a great Bye. weekend. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.